Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. We are mic'd up, psyched up, and about to get silly on a Thursday night. Yeah, buddy. We This week, we're coming a day early. For episode 79, I have a special guest coming on, a co-worker, a friend, Tasha Stones. Hey. Thank you for coming on here. Thanks for asking. And we are going to get to Tasha's journey into recovery. I love these beautiful recovery stories, man. This is what it's about, right? Spreading a little hope. So, But before that, episode 79, part one is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers, where they are ready to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to get that help. Reach out to them by calling them at 801-800-8142. That's 801-800-8142. And listen, they are ready. Like when I say they're ready to help you whenever you're ready to get help, I mean, even if the insurance isn't a right fit, even if, if you're just cash pay, like if we're not the place for you, we can, our whole net, our, our intake team networks with a lot of different treatment centers. We will find you a place that, that fits you. So give Steps Recovery Centers a call. Thank you for sponsoring this podcast. All right. Let's do this. You ready? Yep. So we always start off with practicing a little positive psychology, right? It's real easy to complain about all the terrible things going on in the world, especially the gas prices. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, let's practice a little positive psychology. What is new and good going on in your life right now, Tasha? Um, so <laughs> new and good. New and good. Okay, so I'm getting ready to have my kids for the summer. So I get my kids for a whole month, and I'm super stoked about it. Beautiful. How many kids do you have? Four. Four kids. Four kids, one girl, Are you ready three boys. for four kids this summer? I mean, is anyone ready for four <laughs> kids this summer? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Get you a pass to, uh, oh, what's that place that we like to go? There's a pool up in um, Veo. You ever taken them to the Veo pool? I have never been to Veo. Veo, Utah, everybody. Yeah, that place is what? That place is fun. No Veo? You've never been You've never you've never okay. had a Veo pie? You have to stop no. and get the pies. Yeah, okay. First off, you go there for lunch and you get like a meat pie. So you have like like a like a chicken pot pie or something. So the kids will love that. And then you get like a big old like dessert pie to take home. Okay. And then you spend the day there doing the uh, doing the pools. They have the roller skating that's above the gas station. <laughs> On the roof of the gas no, station. No, I'm serious. I know. Sounds so I safe. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So, yeah, I mean, you a whole day, just in Veo. You're set. Oh, yeah, you I'm can... thinking about is like, that's a quick bedtime afterwards for the kids. Oh, so for sure. I'm for Boom. it. Yeah. Get them filled up on pie. Get them out in the sun, swimming. You can also catch crawdads there. We are giving them some free advertisement today, Sean. I mean, it's Veo, man. I mean, you sneeze and you miss it. It's true. It's true. But <laughs> while you're there, it's amazing. <laughs> How about you, Sean? What's new and good in your world? What's I'm going on with you? I'm trying to leave town tomorrow to go see my parents in San Jose. So I got a 12-hour drive tomorrow. Trying. trying. I was going to leave on Saturday. Now I'm trying to leave on Friday. And then I'm trying to... I'm not sure if I'm juggling schedules with my left hand or right hand to get things to all work out just right. It's because, <laughs> It's very frustrating right now. So yeah. I was going to leave on Saturday. Then I was going to leave at 11 o'clock tomorrow. Now I'm leaving at 2 o'clock tomorrow, but maybe I can leave at noon tomorrow. Sounds like some chaos, man. It's it's really not as bad as it sounds. I just sound stressed about it for it's, no reason. It just feels unmanageable right now. I need a Diet Coke just to, just to end a moment to breathe. <laughs> just I'll to be think fine. about it. It's addict behavior, Sean. <laughs> addict behavior. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So my new and good is this morning, I listen, I feel like for the most part, I'm a pretty in shape guy. You know what I mean? Like, like I try to go to the gym every once in a while and I do yoga once a week and you know, like I, I try. Okay. So this morning, I've seen your wife lift the heavy things. Yes. <laughs> it's so true. It's very true. Opening pickle jars. <laughs> and she does. <laughs> so this morning I go with our residential group to do cardio, to do kickboxing. And let me tell you this for the first two minutes, this is my new and good. I had that bag rocking. Okay. You know what I mean? Like if it was a person, it would have been knocked out. Okay. All right. I know. I know. I'm totally boasting here. You are. But fast forward 45 minutes later. Okay. And I like got my head resting on the bag and it's like kitten punches and I can barely hold myself up. That's a workout. I've never done it. I'll have to try. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yes. So good though. So good. All right. You feel like you got the jitters out of the way? Jitters are out. Okay. Well, hey, listen. 
Tasha, most obvious question, are you a person in long-term recovery? I am. What's your clean date? One thirteen twenty one. Nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. Every story has a beginning. Where does your start? When I was born. Okay. okay. When Where I were was you born? born? Where are you from? So Fair I'm enough. From, I'm from Paraguna, Utah. Like, you sneeze and you miss the town. Kind of like Vail. Yeah. So there wasn't even a gas station in the town that I grew up in. Um, so small town. Very small. Okay. Very small. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like my addict behaviors, like, obviously started way before I picked up a substance. Um, felt different growing up. You know, my family's, like, into that small town stuff. Like, they wear cowboy boots. They got their cowboy hats on. And then there's, like, me, right? Blue so hair. You felt like you didn't really fit in. <laughs> yeah. Feelings of not fitting in from a very, very young age. I just didn't uh, vibe with the same things that my family did. Um and they were rude about it. Like my siblings were rude about it. They were, and they still are. Like they tease me every time they see me because of the way I look. So. They gave you a hard time for not rocking yeah. the the cowboy boots. Yeah, and never going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. Okay. So you kind of have, you know, some unhealthy behaviors, somatic behaviors. Uh, give me, give me an example. Um, lying, uh, lying to my mom about like the littlest things, um, stealing markers from Robert's crafts when I was younger with my mom, <laughs> like, and then getting caught with them in my hands. And I'm like, nope, it wasn't me. Like, was not me. Nice. Yeah. So that started from a super young age and just being like defiant and rebellious for attention. I think um, my dad worked a lot when um, I was younger. And so my mom was like the caregiver, you know, at home. And like, if love were enough, like I wouldn't be an addict, um, right. but that's not how it works, you know? Um, so two loving parents, very loving. I come from a very loving home. Yes. Awesome. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I just feel like when I found substances, it gave me a sense of belonging. Um, and it took like all of those insecure feelings away. Um, it just took away everything. I didn't feel anything. Um, and that's what I was going for, you know? Um, do you feel like there was like a little bit of a genetic component to it? In other words, like, when was your first use? My first use? Yeah. Well, I mean, I started smoking cigarettes when I was, like, seven. Okay. Um, and then got into heavier things by the age of 13. Um, alcoholism runs in my family. There it is. Yep, there it is. Yeah. Because I say that because, like, I remember my first use, right, with, with opiates. I felt like I was Superman. Right. I felt like I was the funniest guy in the room. I felt like I was the best-looking guy in the room. I felt like I was the smartest guy in the room. You, does that make sense? Like, yeah. I feel like it amplified everything. Uh, I present to you somebody that has a genetic predisposition to become an opiate addict. Yeah. Do you do you remember having that that kind of sensation at first, or did you not really like it? Um. Well, to be honest with you, like I remember the first time that I've tried like every substance in my life, and I originally like I didn't like the taste of it didn't like the smell of it that was something that I kind of forced but like as far as like the way it made me feel um I was all for it like I forced myself to like it because I didn't have to feel insecure I didn't care what anybody thought about me like no one was gonna hurt me I I couldn't be hurt I was superman like that's exactly what it felt like nothing yeah. nothing could hurt me that's, I find that so interesting because the complicated thing about substance use or addiction, right, is there's so many different avenues and varieties. You know what I mean? Like no two people's stories are exactly the same. Right. And I feel like, like for me, I was running from or escaping from. Mm -hmm. It sounds like to you, you were trying to fit in or be a part of. Yeah. So I got, I was like bullied a lot. So I know the hair's blue, but so I actually have red hair. I can't picture you being bullied, Tasha. Well, it happened. <laughs> okay, it made me grown, who I am today. You've grown through it, though. You, I have. Okay. Yeah, so I was bullied a lot in elementary school and even into high school. So um, I guess it was this, like I did it in a sense to like belong. Um, and I remember the first couple times I used like it was with people. Um, but like literally the, the first couple times and that's it. And then like I was using by myself. Um, and I didn't like care to fit in. I just... I, I, I suffer with mental illness, so like depression and, you know, um, and at the time, like I thought that was fixing that, but right, it was making it worse. That's, that's what substances do. Um, but I just like, I was escaping reality. Like I was just okay when I was using, 
Um, I love that you said that though, because it's so true, right? Like the reason why people fall into addiction is because we buy this lie. Our brain tells us like, oh, this is just what you need. Right. Right. It's that, that social, I don't laugh, that social lubricant, right? Or that, that liquid courage, the alcoholic would say, right? Yes, <laughs> I it can, was. And so, but, but yeah, like you said, in the moment, it's our solution, but it becomes our huge problem. Yeah. It's like a temporary loan, right? Yeah. It was my solution for a long time until it wasn't, you know, um, I didn't even realize I was an addict until, um, I was like in treatment and was actually like leaving treatment and went back to jail. And then like, I realized, Hey, maybe I do have a problem. Like maybe this, like all of these things that are happening around me, like common denominator, it's me. Yeah, and absolutely. why am I acting like this? Because I'm under the influence. Like I grew up, like I have morals and values. Um, I grew up knowing wrong from right. Sure. I knew like when I used, I knew it was wrong. I had that feeling of like, I'm not supposed to do this. Um, and they do like the dare program when you're in elementary school. Right. And they're like, you can get addicted the first time. So that was like the first thought that ran through my head. Like when I smoked that cigarette or did that first drug or like took that first drink and, and I was like addicted if I, looking back to it now, my story has a different truth today, um, obviously, than it did when I was living through it, um, just because of what I know now. Um, but I, like I was, I was addicted to everything the, f the very first time I did it because of the way it made me feel. Let's talk about that for a minute, though. Let's talk about active addiction days. So typically, right, the, the substance is the solution, and we feel good, and it, we feel like it's fixing all of our problems, and then it turns its ugly head on us. Yeah. What'd that look like for you? Around what age? Remember um, the situations? Any, anything particular? I want to say I was about 19, 20. Okay, um, so early adulthood. Yeah, I had, so I had two kids by this time. Um, I couldn't stop using. Um, like you do remember specifically trying to stop? Yeah, yeah. So I actually, um, I had DCFS knock at my door. Mm. Um and they told me like, and I'm in the mindset like that I don't have a problem and I can stop because I could, like I could stop using for so long, whatever. Well, when DCFS um, was called on me and they showed up to my house and they were like, you have two weeks to drug test. I was like, okay, no problem. Like I'm not using right. Um, and I remember trying to stop. I remember believing I could stop um, and I couldn't, not even for six hours, I couldn't. I knew, I knew my kids were going to get taken from me and my kids were like, so when I, so I had my daughter when I was 16. Um, and when I had my daughter, you know, I was able to stop using, um, when I found out I was pregnant and when I had her, I just remember thinking like, this is better than any drug I've ever had. Right. The um, birth of your child. Yeah. She loves your me. Daughter. Like I'm, I'm never going to be alone again. Um, I have this little human to take care of. And so like my kids were my world, but then when it comes to this point, like my kids are going to be taken from me. And I know that, like I've had friends that that has happened to, and I can't stop. Like I have a problem. And this is the part that always drives the family member crazy. Yeah. Right. Because our families look at us and they're like, how could they choose the substance over their kids or over their relationships, over their job, over their fill in the blank. Right. And so it's funny that you say that because like, yeah, family members think that, but I remember before getting into recovery and learning all the things I thought I was choosing drugs over my kids. So you, I believed that. I believed that. That's heavy. Yeah. A lot of shame. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, so DCFS knocking at your door, right? Uh, you got to pee clean. You can't, you realize I can't stop. We call that Powerlessness. powerlessness yeah powerlessness Sorry. Right? yeah powerlessness. okay i thought we were doing like a duet here, <laughs> i thought right? you were like going on your own right now <laughs> so so once you realize the the powerlessness and in the inability to stop using what did that turn into what did that look like I, it's, i'm sure it got ugly um it looked like me taking my kids to my mom's house um and continuing to get high mm. continuing to get intoxicated um as I'm doing it, like begging myself, please don't do this. Like, please, please don't do this. And I just can't stop. And that's the piece that people don't understand. Yeah. That's the piece that I feel like our families, our friends, our coworkers, our community 
doesn't realize is they think that we're just out woohoo partying. Right. You know, like they don't see those desperate moments. Mm -hmm. They don't see those times that we wake up every day with the intention to stop using and somehow we fail miserably by the yeah. end of the day. I've, um, I just remember like sticking the needle in my arm and crying, like sobbing to God, like I, I can't stop. Um, I had moved back home with my mom and my kids, um, hoping that I could stop. And my mom, my, my grandpa was getting surgery. And so my family was out of the house. She took my daughter and they were in St. George at the time. Um, and I, I was going to commit suicide cause I couldn't stop. It was my, it was my only way out, um, out of the, what I was living in, you know, totally get it. Um, and then I hear a knock at the door after begging to God to make it stop. Um, and it was task force and I went to jail for about a year. Crazy. Yep. In that moment, task force shows up at your door. You're thinking to yourself, what? Uh, by the knock, by the way that they knocked on the door, I knew who it was. Um, I've never felt peace like that before. That's crazy. That's a common theme that a Wait, lot of people say. How do they knock? You say it's a, you <laughs> knew the knock. How, what's the knock like? Very abrupt. Very hard. Three knocks. Is it like a, like a friendly, we're, no. here, for, we're here for some sugar? <laughs> no, Listen. it's like banging yeah. on the door three times. Oh, it's a boom, boom, boom. Yep. Tasha Stones would probably use the word aggressive. <laughs> She's always telling me at work, Jared, you're aggressive. <laughs> so the knock was probably an aggressive It was knock. so aggressive. It was. It was so aggressive, but it was like, I'll never forget that sound. That was like the sound of freedom to me. It was. Which is crazy, right? Because, I mean, most people would listen to that and go, wait, what? Yeah. You're, you're getting put in jail. You're losing your freedom. Yeah. So talk to me about that. Why? Why was that freeing for you? Why was that relieving? Um, Why did you have peace in that moment? So I had never been to jail before, um, but like there's, there's not drugs in jail, right? Or so I thought sure. at the time. Um, so when I went in there, when they booked me in, I was in there on some pretty hefty distribution charges. Um, I knew I was going to be in there for a while. And I just like, I, I remember sleeping and just being so sick the first like month I was in there. Um, but there wasn't. So it sounds like, like opiates was your DOC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, opiates was my DOC. Um, For those of you that don't know, drug of choice, right? Drug DOC. of choice, yes. Yeah. Drug of choice was opiates. Um, I At that time, though, I ha I was mixing uppers in with what I was using. Um, so, like, Was my, that, like, in an intent to stop or to... Yeah. Okay, because it, we tell ourselves my, that lie all the time, right? Like, It was my attempt to, well, if I... If I stop doing this drug, I know it's going to make me sick, but if I uh, substitute it with this drug... Um, then I'll be good because I'm. I don't like that. I don't like uppers. So this is gonna <laughs> fix my problem. We, we all like all of us addicts are all like like little. Uh, we think we're like physicians' assistants, right? right. Like we're just prescribing to ourselves <laughs> these street drugs and like well, this will totally work, right? Yeah, I we, believed it would. I did. I yeah, a lot of people do. And I Absolutely. lost my mind. And that's cross addicting. Yeah. Right. And then the the scary thing is for those people that are listening to this that maybe an active addiction is it's a bad idea. Because then you become poly addicted or you're addicted to more than one substance at the same time. Oh yeah. And then you're detoxing from them all at the same time. So what'd that look like? Oh, uh, what did it look like or what did it feel like? Cause I can only remember feelings, Jared. Um, Wide open question. However you want to answer yeah, that. Yeah. It, it looked like me, um, in a turtle suit on a suicide watch mm. in the Iron County jail for about a week. Checks out. Yeah. It was miserable. Um, but I needed that. Like I wouldn't change that for anything today. Um, I still like didn't believe that I was going to be able to get clean after that. I didn't, I didn't know anything about recovery. I didn't know anything about any programs, nothing. Um, so I sat in there for a little bit and opted into drug court. Um, cause I was in there with some girls that were in drug court and they were getting out. Now, did they offer you drug court off your first charges or had you had previous charges? That this was my first time ever. First time ever. Yes. They, they offered you drug court. Yes. Way cool. Yeah. Um, I voiced that I wanted that because I seen girls getting out um, to go do that. So I was like, perfect. Like, I'm going to get out and go get high. Right. We're so manipulative. Yeah. No, that didn't happen. Um, I good. sat there for about six, seven months. Um, they sent me to a treatment center for, I only lasted 20 days there. Wasn't willing to participate. Wasn't willing to talk about my trauma. Wasn't willing, not touching the kid's subject. Like wasn't. Mm. Um, so when I was in jail, before I went to treatment, I 
lost custody of my daughter to her dad. We call that willful, not willing. Yeah. Is that safe to say you were willful? Yep. Your first time in, in treatment? Mm-hmm. Okay. Very. I know I know the type. We might work with the type. Yeah, we yeah. might. <laughs> we do. <laughs> okay. Oh my okay. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, if you spot it, you got it though. Yes. You know what I mean? That's a heavy thing with me. It is. Um, I always have to remind myself I was that person. That was me. Yep. Okay. I I'm don't sorry. Be careful. It could be me again. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Fair. So like didn't do anything while I was in treatment, went back to jail, ended up about doing almost a year. Um, they let me out on probation. Wait, wait, wait. You ended up almost doing a year. Yeah. So I was in jail for about seven months, went to treatment from jail for about, I want to like boost it up and be like, oh, is there 20 days? And I was probably there like 15 to 18 days. Okay. Um, and then they sent me back to jail and I pled guilty to my charges, opted out of drug court um, and sat in there for another few months. And then they let me out on probation. So because you are not participating in the program and because you are not following the guidelines of, of the program, yeah. you ended up getting drug court pulled. You were sent back to jail and got a lengthy jail sentence. Yep. What were you thinking in that moment? That had to be heavy. I was not, I didn't want to talk about my stuff. I didn't want anyone to know. So even I didn't want to be exposed. I didn't want to be exposed. Even at that point, you were still defiant. Very. Dang. Oh yeah. And my defiancy like runs into my recovery after that. So it actually ends up being like a good thing for me. Now, uh, yeah, because you've learned to, to twist. Yeah, it I've learned to twist it, it now. Advantage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but in the mo- okay, so, all right. So you do your your time. I do my time. Um, let me rewind a little bit. So when they brought me back into the jail, I walked into literally like they they pull me into the dorm and I walk into the bathroom and women are getting high. No way. Yeah, snorting whatever and the sick feeling I got like, so there was like, they took me to a 12 step meeting when I was in treatment that mm-hmm. 15 days, whatever. And I heard a little bit of hope and I seen some people in there that I was running with and, um, they, and they were happy. Um, so when I, I go back into jail and I see that sounds like some step two stuff to me. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, so when I go back in there and I see this, I just, I realize like by this time I'm able to feel things again cause the fog has lifted enough and I'm like, all I can think about is my kids. Uh, my daughter's birthday was coming up and I just decided like, I'm not like, it, it was very unattractive at that point. So I sat on my bunk every day. Uh, the only people I talked to was like the guards when I needed my meds and called my mom on the phone. And when I got out, um, I didn't have a phone for three months and, uh, that's where my first time in recovery, that's where that journey starts. So, um, yeah, Crazy. so I, yeah, I guess I could go into that a little bit. Um, why did so? Why the shift? Like why? Because I'm sure it wasn't like that prior. Like w- what had was it? Just the fact that you saw some people, you know, that that were happy in life and recovery was working for them, and it made you curious. Was it like the heaviness of getting pulled from a program, getting you know freedom pulled from you, and having to do a long amount of time? Like what was it that was really the kick in the gut? Um, my daughter. So they have this coping skill. It's called the worst 15 seconds. Um, so basically like when you're triggered or when you want to use the worst 15 seconds is you think back to in your addiction or whatever, the worst thing that had ever happened. And for me, um, it was a powerlessness thing, right? It was me going home one night and going home to get clothes or something at my mom's house with my daughter. And my daughter's like, clinging onto my leg for me to please just lay down in bed with her until she goes to sleep. And I'm just like kicking my daughter off my leg. Cause I have to go use, cause I'm going to be sick. Mm. I can't stay with my daughter cause I'm going to be sick. I want to, I want more than anything to stay with my daughter and put her to bed and love on her. But my addiction's calling and, uh, I got to go when my addiction calls, like I have to go. There's no ands, ifs or buts about it. And it's crazy how, when we get a little bit of clean time and that fog lifts, and our, our frontal cortex is starting to work again, those memories come back. Yeah. Because I'm sure you just kind of pushed that off and oh, yeah. shoved it down, right? Didn't want to look at it. Yeah. And and now you, you can't, you have to. Yep. It was there. So I learned that when I was in treatment and when I walked in and seen that and like my daughter's birthday is coming up. So I have these feelings like that thought ran through my head and I, I was done. I was done. So... Tasha, I'm super excited for part two to get the rest of your story. And we are just going to put a pin in it for right now. Uh, We'll come back to basically, it sounds like you're just about at rock bottom. Is that fair to say? One of them. 
One of them. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Fantastic. Join us in episode uh, 79, part two, for her second little piece here. Hopefully we get to rock bottom, life and recovery today, and what she's up to these days. Right after this little 30-second uh, sponsorship mention from Steps Recovery Centers. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become with the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times, and it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. So I, I, we have like a pretty, uh, a pretty steady following from some people, right? And I feel like I want to give them a title or a name. And I'm thinking Recovery Finos. How do you feel about that? Like the people that listen to these, this recovery podcast, okay. we call them like, you know, like the recovery phenos, yeah. you know? Yeah. I like I'm, it. I'm not going to lie. I totally stole that from uh, my favorite murder podcast because they have <laughs> murderinos. What do you think, Sean? But Ricoves. Ricoves? <laughs> that sounds like the Rico Act, bro. That freaks me out. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with the legal system as much as you guys are. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you guys for listening. Episode 79, we are in part two. Tasha Stones has come on and she has led up to basically your rock bottom. Um, we're going to get back to her story before that, though. Episode 79, part two is brought to us by the Hilton Garden Inn. It is always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. If you or a loved one just wants to get away, have a little trip, come to beautiful southern Utah, Go to Google, type in Hilton Garden Inn in St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities, always really clean. We love those guys. They take care of us. Our other sponsor, episode 79, part two, is also brought to us by Recovery Strong. Recovery Strong is all about fighting addiction and strengthening recovery. Check it out. There's a huge stigma out there, and we're trying to overcome the stigma, right? That's what this podcast is all about, is to spread a message of hope. Go to recoverystrong.com, click on the gear tab, Check out their hats. They have T-shirts. They have they have hoodies. Uh, they're getting ready to launch like a line of, of a new line of products. Um, definitely go to recoverystrong.com and give them uh, give them some business. Right, wear your recovery out loud. Let's overcome that stigma together. All right, Tasha. So, man, how long did you do total? In jail. In jail. I'd say like uh, that time <clears throat> when you got your program pulled. Oh, when I went back, I think it was like three or four months. Okay. Yeah. What happens after that? Um, I get out and... Uh, You're cured. I'm cured. Because jail cures everybody, it right? It did. It cured me. I'm like good to go, right? <laughs> no, I get out and I'm scared. I get out and I'm scared. I go home to mom's house um, and there's not kids there. My kids aren't there. I don't get to see my kids. Um, and that's that's my bottom, really. What had happened? Where'd they go? Uh, they were with their dads. Okay. So my son was living up north, like three hours away. Um, and then my daughter was living in Milford, which was like an hour away from me at the time. Um, what were the thoughts going through your head? I wanted to die. Mm. Yeah. I feel like once you want for me, once I've allowed suicide to be a thing in my life, once I've allowed it to be an option, like it's, it's going to be there the rest of my life. The um, thoughts, the, the suicidal thoughts. ideation. Yep. Yeah. Whether it's active or passive, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's always going to be there. Um, but no, I, so I remember the meeting that they took me to. Um, so I have my mom start going with me. I, I start going to like a 12-step meeting like once a week. So the meeting that you'd gone to while you were in treatment, you remember the location? And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because it was actually in Parowan, um, 
which is right by where I live. So another little tiny small town here in Utah. Yeah, that's where I went to school. So it's awesome. Yeah, that's where all the gas stations and stuff. Were, I just have so. to throw it out there. Did you know we have 27 countries that listen to this podcast and we have downloads in every single state except for Nebraska. So I don't try to like, you know, I just I just make sure people understand when we say places that they understand. Okay. Lots of places. So you go to a meeting in Parowan. Yeah, I, I uh, go to a meeting in Parowan, you know, and I get I get the hope. I get the feeling of being safe for that hour. Um, and I start listening. I shut my mouth and I start listening to what they're saying in there. I relate with everyone that's talking. Um, the same uh, incomprehensible demoralization. Uh, they've been through it all. You know, there's people there that have lost their kids. There's people there that have, like, had it way worse than me. Um, cause I still had a chance. So I just, you know, I, I didn't have a phone for three months. Um, I only hung out with my mom. Uh, me and my mom got really, really close during that time. Obviously me and my mom didn't have a good relationship growing up cause I was, I was out getting high. Mm. Um, and she was like, my mom and I were so codependent on each other. Um, and she, she didn't understand addiction. Uh, my dad's an alcoholic and my mom, nothing. And so she thought uh, that if she just loved you enough, that would be enough. Yeah, she you. thought she thought that this was something that she did or didn't do in my childhood that mm. like made me this way. Um, she started learning a lot more when she went to meetings with me. She was like so shocked that like we weren't the only ones in life going through this. Um, <laughs> but this is like where my story gets pretty cool. You know, I I had I start working the twelve step program, um, doing really cool things in life. Uh, keep now doing when you what say I'm, working a twelve step program. Does that mean like dipping a toe, showing up every once in a while to a meeting, going there and looking for the differences and not the similarities? What does um, that look like when you say working? I'm not going to lie. There were times, um, depending on like how my day was going and where my mood was at, that I was like, I'm nothing like you. You've done way worse than me. Because I get judgy <laughs> sometimes. Sure. Like I get so judgy sometimes. Sure. Um, but no, for the most part, like I was showing up and doing doing all the things that they suggest in the program which is like getting a home group, working steps with a sponsor, being of service to people. Um, uh, the main thing was like, I cut off all my old contacts. I didn't hang out with anybody that was using, I didn't associate with them. Um, and I basically just hung out with my mom. Like my mom saved me, you know, I hung out with her a lot. Um, and then I started working, uh, got a job, like was able to be paying my own bills and stuff. Um, was finally able to go back to court and get visitation back with my kids. So you see the, the recovery principles start working in your life. Yeah. It's Just by doing the next right thing. getting better. Yeah. Okay. Slowly but surely, um, there was a light at the end of the tunnel that okay. I never thought I would see. And at this point, you're not affiliated with any treatment. No treatment. Nope. No treatment. Okay. Strictly doing 12-step meetings and that's it. Um, yeah. So I get the visitation with my kids. You know, life's going really good. Um, and then I start working at a treatment center. Um, had another child this time um and I like started working at a treatment center I got married in this time um my life was like amazing I was doing all of the things my life was amazing like I got along with my family like I was the one teasing them now about their boots and stuff like nice. life was just super super good um I had everything like I had everything I had the house the kids the husband the car I feel like you kind of made it yeah. yeah. And like, and like through all of that, like for the most part, like I was okay with myself other than like the depression that I was struggling with of, cause I never got like full custody of my kids back. Um, I had my, my, uh, he's five now. So I had him with me all the time. Um, and then I had another one after him. So I had my two little boys with me at my, at the time, but like my two older ones, they, it was just visitation every other weekend. Um, and those feelings like dropping them off to go back with their dad after my weekend with them, it, it like felt like mourning the loss of a child. Yeah. That's it. That can be, that's tough, right? The meeting yeah. up the, yeah. Just like, and then like having my daughter cry and just like wondering why she can't live with me. And at this point she's like too young to talk about like why, you know? Um, so I just like try to show up the best I can. Um, but I let my program start, uh, I let my program start slipping. I stopped doing the things. Um, I was working at a treatment center. So I was like, I don't need to go to my meetings. Like I'm taking my clients. So it's fine. Or like I'm vicariously living through my clients. Like they're doing what they're supposed to. So like I must be doing something right. Like taking all the credit. Right. Um, Which working in treatment can help for sure. But it oh, can't definitely. be the complete solution. No, it's not working a program. Yeah. It's working for. I didn't separate my program from my job. Right. Yeah. It's a good um, distinction. 
yeah, I didn't separate my program from my job. So that's like, yeah, that's, that's where I went wrong. Um, I ended up relapsing and I've had a lot of people. So I had almost six years clean. Um, almost six years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I had almost six years clean and, uh, I got divorced. So in that time when I was clean, like I went through a lot of hard things, right? Like I, I lost a grandpa, um, lost family members, um, went through breakups, like went through all the things, you know, and I stayed clean through them. Um, but then I let my depression get the best of me and stopped working my program and felt like using was my only option. I ended up quitting my job, um, because it just like was taking the life out of me. I wasn't able to show up the way I wanted to. Um, and like by that, like next week of after I quit my job, like I, I relapsed, I used, um, and that's like, I don't know. A lot of people ask me like, where did your relapse start? Um, it started with not making my bed. I quit making my bed. Um, and that, that like, was like literally, I literally stopped making my bed. I had this routine in recovery. Um, oh, I'm so glad you just said the word routine. Yeah, but. I had this routine. Um, they taught me when I was in treatment, we had to make our beds every day. And I like, I thought it was the stupidest rule ever. Right. <laughs> right. No, it like treat me like a child. Yeah. Yeah. No, that like, yeah, that's where my relapse stop, uh, started. I quit making my bed. I quit going to meetings, quit keeping in contact with my sponsor, all of the things. And when I went back out, um, I stopped showing up for myself. Obviously I stopped showing up for my kids, quit getting them on visits. Um, at this point, like I wasn't working. Um, and then can I point yeah. something out real fast? Yeah. So I feel like life is seasons. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Just like, just like, you know, the year, if you think of a, a fiscal year, we have the summer, we have the fall, we have the winter, we have the spring. And I feel like this is just, you know, I feel like we have different seasons in life. Like you talked about how you rebuilt your life and things were beautiful. You got remarried, you got, you know, a job working in treatment, like all the things, all the dominoes were lining up and, and beautifully going down for you. Right. Yeah. But those seasons don't always last. No. Like sometimes we go through rough patches. Yeah. Sometimes like for me, I, I got into back into school and started getting into the counseling thing. I've also applied for some master's programs and got denied. Right. Life still happens also, when you get yeah. clean. Like, and I wasn't aware of that the first time. Like I thought once I got clean and we took the drugs away, I was going to be cool. Like everything was going to be fine. I didn't realize like the disease of addiction lives in my head. It's the thinking errors. And so to your point, if you stop doing those daily things, mm-hmm. if you stop that routine because you think, well, life's good. I'm in a, I'm in a prosperity season of life. Well, then when, things change and life happens and you're in a downslider or, or a not so great season of life, mm-hmm. man, you're going to drop super fast and super hard yeah. because you don't have those things holding you in place that you used to build your life up. Right. You know, you let, I let one thing slip and it was easy to let the rest slip. Um, they say addiction's a progressive disease and man, it is like when I, when I use that first time, um, after being clean, like it was a good high for maybe five minutes. And then like it was came back with a vengeance. I remember being so uh, shameful. Uh, I felt guilty. Um, I remember like I stopped talking to my mom and uh, so my family knew like they, my mom knows me better than anyone. Right. Yeah. They usually know all of our oh, signs. Yeah, she knew. And I, I wasn't at this point, like I wasn't trying to hide it because I wasn't using to get high. I was using to die. Right. I didn't want to be alive anymore. And I knew like that would take me out quicker than anything. Um, so my mom, this was like October 13th, um, 2020. My mom called me and I finally just told her, I was like, look, mom, like I relapsed. Um, I'm using heroin again. I can't stop. And she's like codependent, right? I'm going to get you into treatment. Like, what do you need? I'll come over to your house right now. Um, so she did, she came over to my house and, uh, I, I was so horrible to her, right? Cause I have to protect my addiction. Sure. I'm an active addiction now, so I have to protect my addiction at all costs. So I like shove my mom out of my face. Um, she tries to hug me and tell me she loves me and I'm just like swearing at her, telling her to get out of my house. And so she does. Um, the next day in between that time I had got a job cleaning the next day, like, right. I wake up and I'm so sick because my drug of choice, I'm so sick. And, uh, 
I remember getting a text from my mom. She's like blowing my phone up and I don't respond. So finally uh, she sends me another text and I open it and it's like this very long text and I don't want to read it. But at the end of it, it says, uh, "Give tell Bentley that I will always love her or something. Um, mm. And I got a weird feeling. So I go back through and I read the message and uh, I don't really want to go into detail about what it says. Uh, it meant something different to me then when I read it than it does today. Um, but so my mom committed suicide, uh, that day and I knew, I knew where she would be. Um, so my family and I found my mom, um, she did it up at our cabin up in the mountains and, uh, it was very traumatizing. I remember being so sick that day, but like finding my mom and like seeing her the way that she was, it like sobered me up, like I wasn't sick anymore. I was just like in shock. Like the voice that came out of my body that day, I'll never forget that sound. Um, my family knew I had been using, so I was like blaming myself for my mom's death, right? Because sure. it's got to be someone's fault. Why not let it be mine? And I believe that for a long time. I believe that my mom killed herself because of me. Um, today, I know that's not true though. Right. Um, However, you probably weren't <clears throat> in the right state of mind no. because you were in active addiction, right? And so, yeah. you know, that bully in your head that's telling you all these things that aren't logical. This is just another excuse for me to use. And I knew that. Sure. Um, now when so you say I, the text message, it means something different to you today than it did at the time. Yeah. Was that like her goodbye text? Yeah, it was her, it was her goodbye text. Yeah. Um, she like told me that she loved me and she would always be by my side, no matter what, uh, cheering me on. She, my mom was always my biggest cheerleader. So, and she is like, I can feel my mom today with me a lot. <clears throat> um, I continued to get high after that for a few months. Um, I actually, so I was able to stay clean two weeks after my mom died. So I was able to show up to her uh, funeral clean, um, not in recovery, just clean, abstinent right. from using, right? Yep. Um, but like 10 days or whatever after her funeral, it was too much. And I, uh, I used and I overdosed. Um, I used fentanyl and I overdosed. And I knew what I was using. I used it on purpose, right? Uh, so the day my mom died, actually, I, f I forgot to tell you this. Um, I was going to kill myself that day. I, I was having fentanyl coming to my house. I was going to be done. Um, but I couldn't wait. You know, I had to go find my mom. So I feel like in a way, like my mom saved my life that so day. So before you knew that your mom mm -hmm. had yeah. passed from I was at, suicide. Yeah, I was at home waiting. For, you were planning it yourself. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, I, I couldn't live with the feeling of the way that I disappointed my mom and myself. Like... I couldn't, I didn't want to feel like that. And I knew, like, I knew, I know what it takes to be in recovery. I know what it takes to come out of this. And I didn't think I had it in me again. Uh, so in a way, I feel like my mom saved my life. Um, when I overdosed right after she died, um, when I went out, like I seen my mom, um, she was like dressed in white and, uh, told me that I couldn't come home yet. Uh, the paramedics brought me back, um, I was mad. Like I was so mad to wake up from that, you know, like I just wanted to go be with my mom. Um, my dad like got me into treatment, um, that day and I stayed for like three weeks. Uh, then I left cause I got this right. Right. Um, addiction, so you had, my you, disease, you had a me. spiritual, like a spiritual awakening. Yeah. yeah. It's like a spiritual moment. Mm -hmm. That's crazy because it, what you just described, I, I experienced myself. Yeah. It's wild. Um, I, so when I left treatment, I, uh, I obviously my, so my mom's dad ended up dying right as I left treatment. Um, so I used that as an excuse to use. Right. And I knew how to see my mom now. Like I knew what I had to do to be able to see my mom. Um, so I overdosed, I ended up overdosing in two months, about 15, 16 times. Um, wow. yeah. Meant to be here like for to sure. To the point where you had to be hit with Narcan to be brought back. Narcan many times. Wow. In one sitting. Yeah. Um, that last time I used though, um, I was just, I remember like I was waiting in the Walmart parking lot. I was going to drive to St. George to pick up and I pulled off the Walmart parking lot and I just remember, um, begging myself crying. Don't do this. Like, I don't want to do this. And my freaking tire ended up going flat on my car. So I like drive to the gas station to put air in it. And I'm like... I'm a farm town girl. Like I know, sure. how, I know how to put air in my tire, right? right now right. that the air just continues to keep leaking out when I'm like trying to fill it up. Uh, my dad ended up coming and getting me and I was into treatment the next day. 
Um, and at this point, like, do I you knew. you feel like that was divine intervention? Yeah. You do? I, I felt my mom with me. I knew my mom was with me. Like, I know, I know she was there with me. Yeah, you could feel her presence. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. Cool. So at this point, I'm like, not going to keep living in addiction and all that that brings with it because I, I can't die. Like, I've tried. So you end up back at treatment for the third time? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and this is it. This is my time. I'm willing to do whatever. Um, so the willingness had come forth at this point. Yeah, at this no point, more, like, okay. I, didn't, I didn't have a way out this time. Like, I couldn't die. I tried. The gift of desperation, yeah. as we call it. This was the heaviest gift. Like, this was my low. But okay. I'm so grateful for it today. Absolutely. Um, get into treatment, and uh, they suggest I write a letter. They've suggested it the last time I was there, too, but, like, not doing it. No, they ask, and I did it this time write this letter to my mom and it was like another spiritual experience. Um, I just like feel my mom's presence with me. I realized like the message means something different now. Um, she didn't do it because of me. Um, and my mom wants me to be in recovery. My mom wants me to be happy. Um, so you got those confirmations from that letter yeah. from the assignment that you got Yep. when you were willing to take a suggestion and follow through. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, and that's my journey into recovery this time. Um, so you completed residential. Completed residential. Did you do day treatment? Completed day treatment. Completed IOP. Completed IOP. So you did all the levels. Completed GOP. Um, yeah, I did all the things. Um, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Um, it was so worth it, though. Today, it's simple, not easy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Recovery is simple. And so, like, here's the thing for me. Like, if it's easy to do something, I'm not going to get growth from it. It's probably not the right thing to do. Going out and using and stay using, that's easy. Stop using, that's easy. Staying stopped using, that's what's hard. Thank you. Like, I say that and I feel like people don't get it. But it totally, it really is. Sometimes staying in recovery is harder than getting clean. Yeah. Right? Staying clean is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because so we got to deal with our crap. Yeah. We still have all these problems, all these defects of character and all. We're still ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, I had a lot of shame around my relapse. Um, like, and it, I still like when people are picking up like seven, eight years, it like gets me right mm. in the gut. Cause like that should have been me. Um, but I would not change my relapse for the world now. Cause I know where I messed up before. Um, Sure, it sucked losing my mom, and, like, I directly relate that with my relapse still because, like, that's what happened at that time. Um, but, like, my life is, like, so – I can't even explain to you how my life is today. And, like, the biggest thing in my life today is, like, I don't want to die. I have no desire to die today, which is saying something because, like, my mom was my person. Like, she is. She's still my person. Um, Cor cornerstone in your life. <clears throat> cornerstone? She was a cornerstone in your yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, she was. Um, and I still feel her with me. Like anytime things get hard or like it can be just like the simplest things, like, or when I'm in a meeting, someone will say something and it will like remind me of something my mom used to tell me. Cause my mom was so good at giving me advice and it's things I hear from different people now. So I'll listen cause they're an addict and they get it. Right. right. Um, but it's things that my mom had been saying to me the whole time. I just was, wouldn't listen to her and listen to her so or maybe when you're at a gas station and you see a little turtle yeah yeah so there's a story <laughs> behind that so my mom um my mom went to hawaii and she was able to see a sea turtle so she's like obsessed with sea turtles i actually have a, a sea turtle tattooed on my arm when i got married i went to hawaii and got this there so cool and um so yeah so anytime i see a sea turtle now it reminds me of my mom and let me tell you what i see them all the time now i just remember that day at work you came in and you were so stoked yeah like you were just smiling from ear to ear and just glowing. and That was the week was of cool. our birthday. So me and my mom share a birthday. We have a birthday on the same day, March 23rd. And I was like, I think this was like the day before or something. And I was just like dreading that day. I was going to like pretend it like wasn't coming. <laughs> Let's skip it. Yeah. Like not, not going to think about mom. I'm not going to feel these feelings. And then I go in and there's a turtle sitting. Oh, yeah. Mind you, the same gas station I've been going to for like months. And they've never had that out on the counter. Of course. So it was my mom for sure. Yeah. Just saying hello. Um, yeah. Then you know that she it loves was. you. Yeah. Things like that happen. And I'm so grateful that I'm in recovery and I'm able to feel those things and see those things. Like, I'm so glad I'm able to see God working in my life today. Like doing what I do today has given me freedom. Like I work a program. Um, my recovery comes before anything. My recovery comes before my kids. My recovery comes before my job. My recovery comes before my boyfriend. My recovery comes before my family. Because if I don't have my recovery... 
<clears throat> I can kiss all those things goodbye. Those were the first things I lost when I went back out. Those things don't matter if I'm not in recovery. So The thing I think that's beautiful about your story is that there is some relapse in there. Because listen, there's some people that after they get some clean time and they go back out, they're devastated. And if, if somebody's story is, look, I went, I was in active addiction, got some help, got clean and have stayed clean, maybe they feel like nobody gets them. Yeah. But if they hear your story, they realize I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that's got anytime, a decent amount uh, of time and has messed it up. Yeah. Anytime I go to a meeting, they hand out uh, key tags for like your clean time. They do like different increments of time, right? Um, so they have the white key tag, right? And that means 24 hours clean. Um, I just like, I get chills. Like I'm getting chills thinking about it. I just have so much respect for the courage that it takes for people to get up and get those. Cause I know, like, I know how hard it is, especially after a relapse to come back and get that. Like there's a lot of shame and guilt around it, but like we're alive. Like we made it out alive and not everyone gets that chance. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on here. Yeah. You have been awesome. Thanks for having me. So cool. yeah, super cool. So I, I, <clears throat> I got to ask you, what is, what's in the future for you? 30 seconds left. I, you know, I was just thinking about that. I have to make some goals because my five-year goals I made when I was in treatment, they've been achieved for a hot minute now. There you go. Yeah. Crazy. Vacations, well, memories. There you go. Rebuild, yep. rebuild. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been awesome. We have a lot of things in common. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. All right. Check us out next week for episode 79. We'll see you guys later. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.